does not matter what your fear is. It does not matter what it is. Nothing will ever separate you from God. If you are in him, if you have given your life to him, if you are a follower of Christ, there is not a thing on this earth that can separate you from his love. I'm not saying that bad things can't happen. I'm saying you don't need to be afraid of them. You're eternal. You will be with God forever. He will work out all things for good for those who love him. He's told us that. He's promised us that. And I'm telling you, it's true. And your fears are a lie. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 9, where Peter has just raised Tabitha from the dead. And of course, it wasn't Peter. It was the power of Jesus. Let's learn more. I don't know that he knew when he was coming there that this woman was going to be raised from the dead. I don't know that he knew until the moment that maybe the Holy Spirit revealed to him as he's praying next to her body and says, tell her to get up. And it would have taken amazing faith, in my opinion, to say to a dead body, get up. It would be because it's embarrassing if it doesn't happen, right? Um, that's why you send everybody out of the room, I guess. But in any case, it would, be, it would take a lot of faith, right? Most of us would feel uncomfortable about that, but Peter's got this incredible faith, and he's seen the master do it. He knows the power of Jesus Christ. He knows the power. That's why Acts, we sometimes call it the Acts of the Apostles. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Acts of the power of Jesus Christ through a number of different apostles, right? That's, the, that's what this book is that we're reading, okay? Next verse, 942. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Uh, yeah. That's what happens when people, you know, rise from the dead. Um, because, of course, let's not forget, they're out there proclaiming, testifying to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here, we're proving the power of Jesus Christ to raise from the dead. And so, once again, you have this, everybody knows she's dead. They know who she is. She has this great reputation. So they know that she's dead. Peter comes. All of a sudden, here she is walking around, sewing stuff again and whatever. And people are like, whoa, what's the deal? And they're coming in droves. They're coming in droves to follow Christ because they recognize the power of Jesus Christ. And they recognize that he is, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ, the one they've been looking for. And he represented the redemption for their sins and their ability to be with God. And they follow him. Last verse. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. I actually find this, this verse to be really interesting for a couple of reasons, Okay. Peter stays with this guy, Simon, a tanner. And a tanner, of course, is, you know, they, they do stuff with animal hides. They tan the animal hides, right? And these folks were actually despised by the Jewish people. This would have been, Simon would have been a Jewish guy, but he would have been despised by his peers. They despised tanners for a couple of reasons. One is women worked in the industry and there was sort of this idea that there was immorality going on there. Another reason is that it was gross, to work with animal carcasses and stinky and all that kind of stuff. And it was just kind of unclean. But then also it was ritually unclean because they were touching these carcasses, these dead bodies, right? Some of which would have probably been animals that were unclean animals even, you know, possibly. So Jews did not look highly upon this profession, being a tanner. And so Peter is, once again, we see another one of Christ's disciples, one of his apostles, showing us very clearly the same heart that Jesus had because we consistently saw Jesus going to those who were rejected, right? Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Because they need him, right? 
because he loves them. And he consistently shows us this. And then we see this too. His disciples once again acting like him. Peter goes to this guy who would have been rejected. He would have been an outcast. He wouldn't have been able to hold the same status as the other Jewish folks in the neighborhood. But yet here, that's the person who Peter goes to hang out with, goes to stay with. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch that we talked about several weeks back, right? This guy, because of the nature of some alterations to his body, would not have been accepted by the Jewish folks. And yet, as Philip comes upon him, he accepts him. He tells him about Jesus who accepts him. And this eunuch comes to know the Lord as a result. So that's interesting. And we'll learn more about what happens at Simon the Tanner's house and going forward, Lord willing, the next time that we get into Acts. But I want to take a couple things in the time we have left from this passage. First, I want to address uh, one thing about, uh, uh, that some people say about the miracles in the Bible. Some people say that the historical miracles in the Bible are a misunderstanding of science or a misunderstanding of the natural world. That They really believed that they were true, but actually they're just misunderstanding these totally normal natural events that occur. Uh, here's the deal. These historical facts that are written down here by Luke about these miracles, they're either true or they're not true. Under no circumstances are they a misunderstanding of science or the natural world. Okay, people are like, well, they just didn't understand, and so they could believe in a virgin birth or a resurrection from the dead or this type of thing because they didn't really understand science. Here's the deal. In the first century, people knew where babies came from. They didn't think it was storks. They knew that virgins didn't have babies. So it, in fact, was a miracle if it happened, if it's true and it happened, and we believe it did. We believe there's evidence for that, but it indeed would have been a miracle. It wasn't a misunderstanding of the natural world. They knew what dead people were. They knew the difference between a dead person and a sleeping person. They knew the difference. They knew how the natural world worked. And here's the thing. If they didn't, the miracles wouldn't have been impressive. If they didn't know that the natural world said this had to happen, why would they have been impressed when this other thing happened? Or why wouldn't every Tom, Dick, and Harry who was coming around, probably no one was named that in Israel at the time, but in any case, why wouldn't every other person who was trying to make a name for themselves make up these miracles and stuff? Why is it that the entire world within a few hundred years is following this offshoot religion from Judaism unless there was real power and real miracles that were happening? The evidence... The evidence is in the effect. We see all these people, this, is, this thing happens, and all these people come to know Jesus. Now, why? Because they were confused about the natural world? Well, then why would they be impressed by it? Uh, there's a guy that I sometimes quote. Uh, his name is C.S. Lewis. And he says this, Nothing can seem extraordinary until you have discovered what's ordinary. Belief in miracles, far from depending on an ignorance of the laws of nature, is only possible insofar as those laws are known. This is what he means. What he means is, if you don't understand science well, and you don't understand the laws of nature well, you would never know what a miracle was or be impressed by it. Because you have to know natural to know what's supernatural, right? So those who try to cast aside, well, Jesus was a good guy, but all this miracle stuff, that's not really true. No, that doesn't work. These guys would not have been risking their very lives and the lives of their families and so on if they didn't truly see supernatural, miraculous things happening, starting with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Okay, that's where these guys were at. So don't, if you ever get into that argument, people are like, oh, no, no, the Bible's good, and Jesus is a good teacher, blah, 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 but miracles, that's not true. The simple fact is the proof is in the pudding. You don't change the whole Roman Empire from fake miracles or from people who just didn't understand things well. These people were pretty smart. That's the fact. Science was actually pretty advanced in a lot of ways. Yeah, they didn't have iPhones. Like, that's done us a lot of good, right? But in any case, okay. Let's, let's move on to the next thing. Here's the other thing. We have two physical miracles in this passage. And sometimes the physical mirror, miracles mirror for us or are a metaphor for spiritual miracles. Okay? So I want to talk first about, I want to talk about both paralysis, spiritual paralysis and spiritual death and, and healing from those things. Okay? Um, let's start with spiritual paralysis. And this is really for the believer for the follower of Jesus. For the person who follows Jesus, sometimes what happens is we struggle with spiritual paralysis. It's a paralysis of the will. You know you ought to be doing something. You feel the Lord calling you to do something. You understand that there's something that you should be doing, but you cannot seem to start. Or you start, but you can't seem to endure and, and constantly fail, and then the cycle starts again and usually it gets worse right? As you go, whatever it happens to be, it could be addiction. It could be getting a job or quitting a job. It could be being a better parent, fixing a bad relationship, uh, starting to tithe at church, starting to, to volunteer your time at church or in some other way, right? Uh, loving your spouse better, etc. Getting more involved in the community, whatever it happens to be, right? You have these things and they sort of, they're sort of right here all the time, right? Losing weight, whatever it might be, it's right here. It's, it's saying, you know, you need to do this. You know, you ought to do this. You know, you're supposed to do this. And you are paralyzed. You have spiritual paralysis. You aren't able to actually make it happen. You try, but you don't succeed. You constantly try in your own power, though. You try to white-knuckle your way through quitting an addiction. Or you try to white-knuckle your way through putting more time into this or putting, you know, making that calendar, and I'm going to do it this way, I'm going to do it that way. Don't worry about the last thousand times I've tried to do it and it hasn't worked. It's going to work this time because we're constantly trying to do it in our own power. And we fill our libraries with books on self-help and how to have self-esteem and self-awareness and how to get to your goal faster and how to make it easier and all this kind of stuff. And yet none of it works because we're always trying to find a way to make it happen in our own power. Power, we're paralyzed. We're paralyzed. And here are the things that I think cause spiritual paralysis. Fear, shame, and distraction. There may be some other things, but fear, shame, and distraction, I think, are the things that primarily cause spiritual paralysis. So let's talk about fear for a minute. We're afraid of what might happen or what might not happen or what somebody thinks of us, or whether we measure up to some standard that we either we set for ourselves or we feel like somebody else set for us, right? And we're running that hamster wheel, <laughs> trying, to, trying to make up, the, but we're afraid. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of success. We're afraid of everything. Anxiety is like the biggest deal in our country and probably the Western world right now. Okay? And, and the pharmaceutical companies are making good money off of it because we're afraid. We're afraid. And when you're afraid, you're paralyzed. Fear paralyzes. Deer in the headlights, right? When you're afraid, you can't, you can't move forward. The fear keeps you from doing it. And I'm going to give you some truth today. First of all, fear is a lie. For the believer in Jesus Christ, for the person who is following Christ, 
who's in communion with God, who knows the Lord, fear is a lie. There's no reason to be afraid. I'm going to read you kind of a, a long passage of Scripture here, but it's good stuff and it's better than anything I could tell you. So I'm going to read this to you. It's from Romans. It's 8, 28 through 39. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It does not matter what your fear is. It does not matter what it is. Nothing will ever separate you from God. If you are in him, if you have given your life to him, if you're a follower of Christ, there is not a thing on this earth that can separate you from his love. I'm not saying that bad things can't happen. I'm saying you don't need to be afraid of them. You're eternal. You will be with God forever. He will work out all things for good for those who love him. He's told us that. He's promised us that. And I'm telling you, it's true. And your fears are a lie. And they should not be paralyzing you. You should not be paralyzed by fear. One of the other things is shame. Shame paralyzes, right? We get paralyzed by shame. We feel like we're not worthy because of things we've done. Those things that we hope no one ever finds out about. Those things buried deep in our heart that we keep to ourselves, And we feel like they make us not good enough. We don't deserve God. How can we move forward? And it paralyzes. It paralyzes us. Um, here's the thing. Jesus already knows everything that's in all the places as deep as you want to go in your heart. He knows everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought. He knows it all. And yet, he loves you. He loves you. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your sin has been covered by Jesus Christ. He tells you that clearly. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess and you're forgiven. Your shame is gone in Jesus Christ. That's what the cross was for. If you live in shame and you're a follower of Christ and you allow yourself to be paralyzed by shame and, you, and you have, you're racked by guilt and shame about things that happened uh, 10 years ago, five years ago, five minutes ago, if you've confessed it, it's been forgiven, it's gone. And when you sit there in shame, you are saying that the cross did not have the power, which is not true. It did have the power. The power of the cross heals you from that. You are no longer to live in that shame. It has been separated from you as far as east is from west. It should never paralyze you. You should never walk in it. I don't care what you've done. 
I don't care where you've been. I love you because God loves you. Does it mean you're perfect? Does it mean that the sins didn't mean anything? No, they are terrible, but they were paid for it with a terrible price. And I'm not going to undersell that price that was paid by continuing to live in shame when Christ has told me I'm free. And neither should you. Do not let shame paralyze you. The last thing is distraction. I don't know that there has ever been a time on the planet where we have had so many ways to be distracted. I can pull out of my pocket a supercomputer, right? And I can do whatever I want with this thing to entertain myself, okay? I can play, we can now play virtual reality video games, which are pretty amazing, by the way. Um, It really is something. You can have a thousand friends on Facebook that you've never met, and you can entertain yourself with that all day long. I know that some of you sit in your bed and you look over at your alarm clock and realize it's just gone past about 2 a.m. and you're still sitting there on your iPhone, right? Now, I know none of you did that. I have before. And I know you're saying, well, it's just, I'm just, it's just the time I had to catch up on the news. Cat videos. I know what you're doing, okay? <laughs> Let's not pretend like you're not watching those funny cat videos because they are hilarious. But, but we do that, right? We, we spend all this time being distracted because we can so easily find things to do that are entertaining that can keep us from doing the things that we're called to do, and it paralyzes us. It paralyzes us. The distraction paralyzes us. Don't be distracted. Be diligent. Proverbs 10.4 says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. I can tell you this. I've struggled with all of these things. All of them. Fear, shame, and distraction. At a high level. Every one of them. At a very high level. But we cannot be paralyzed by these things. We cannot be paralyzed by these things. We are the body of Christ. We've talked about this many times. I've told you, you're the body of Christ. And that's what it means. And if you're paralyzed with fear or shame or distraction, then part of the body is paralyzed. And a body with a part that's paralyzed does not work as well as a body with a part that's not paralyzed, right? Obviously. And so you can't let yourself be paralyzed because you're part of the body. And we need you to move forward and do the things that God is calling you to do. You can't allow these things to paralyze you. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own ability, on your own resources. You can power through it. You can white knuckle it because it will never happen. You do not have the power outside of Christ to push past the things that you need to push past in order to do the things that God's called you to do. But here's the great thing. He doesn't call you to do it unless he's going to give you the power to do it. He will empower you. You need to plug into the vine, to Jesus, because without him you can do nothing, and with him you can do all things. Seems like a pretty easy equation to me. But you got to get out of your own power. you got to get out of your own power, and you got to look to Jesus Christ for your power. Last thing, quickly. um, The other spiritual condition is death. And here's the deal, and and I'm not trying, I'm not saying this to offend anyone who is not a Christ follower at this point. I understand that some of you may be here and you're, and you're still seeking. You're still trying to figure out what's true and that's totally cool. But I'm just going to be honest with you because it's my job to be honest with you. If you are not a follower of Christ, if you have not called upon his name, you are spiritually dead. You're dead. These are the facts. I understand that that may be offensive and you may rail against that and I, and I, and I get that. But I was spiritually dead 
and am only spiritually alive because of the power of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to become spiritually alive, it will only be through the power of Jesus Christ and humbling yourself enough to know that you, in fact, are spiritually dead. But just like Tabitha laying on that bed, Jesus is saying, get up. Get up. Don't, don't be dead. Live. Live. I have life for you. When he died on that cross and he rose again, he gave you the opportunity, the ability to have life. And so if you are not a Christ follower, today's the day. Today's the day. Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. It's not complicated. Recognize who you are, that you're spiritually dead. Recognize that you want to be alive, that you want to live forever with God, that you want to live for him, that you want to experience the life that's in communion with Christ, community of the church, your brothers and your sisters, and those of us who will live together forever with him, in him. He's offering that to you. If, you've, if you have never done that, you're going to get an opportunity to do that today. If you are spiritually paralyzed and there are things that you have felt called to do and constantly you continue to fail to do them and you realize it's because I keep trying to do it in my own power, I may say a prayer or whatever, but I'm not giving it to the Lord and allowing his power to do it. I'm going to call the elders and the deacons that are in the room kind of up to the front as we take communion. And if you want to pray about one of those things, if you want to come to know Jesus for the first time, or if you want to pray about your spiritual paralysis and you want the power of the Holy Spirit to be in your life and you want some prayer for that, they're going to be up here to do that. If you have anything else you need to pray about, anything in your life that you want to pray with one of the elders or deacons that are going to be up here, come up to the front and pray with them. So how about you? Do you want to pray and change your life forever? As Pastor David said, it really is so easy and you can do it right now. Simply tell Jesus you believe he's the Son of God, ask him to forgive your sins and give you eternal life, and he will. And if we can help you in any way to make that life-changing decision for Christ, call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us this Sunday morning at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Get directions and all the info you need at axchurchnw.org. Well, that wraps up our time for today, and I hope you'll click on the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.